about a guy whose car broke down. He had a flat tire right outside of a sane asylum. And uh, there was a chain link fence there and he, it was dusk and he took the tire off and he placed the four lug nuts somewhere in the grass. It got dark. He couldn't find them. He was getting a little bit stressed, didn't know what to do. He didn't have a flashlight. And one of the patients behind the fence said, just take one lug nut off the other three, put it on. When you get to the next service station, they'll give you some lug nuts. He said, what are you doing in there? That's great advice. He said, I may be crazy, but I ain't stupid. <laughs> anyway, thank you, Janet. That was great. Paul wrote to these believers from Antioch, and of course he's rebuking them for believing the false teaching of the Judaizers that they had to be circumcised and keep the law. Now he's going into a very practical section explaining the difference in the flesh and the spirit, the two old, the old and the new nature. We all have a new nature, we all have an old nature, and they're in constant conflict. Remember Paul said, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Scholars say what that means is that the Romans would put a dead body on a prisoner's back and make him carry that body around till it stunk just to embarrass the prisoner so he wouldn't commit crime again. And I've read several who said that. Paul also mentions in Romans 8.23 that we groan waiting for the new body. He talks about our earthly tabernacle being dissolved. He says in Roman, or Philippians 3.21 that he says, who shall, uh, ask a rhetorical question, who shall change our vile bodies? And you know I've quoted before, he says, that in my body dwelleth no good thing. So he's teaching now on the two natures. One day, praise God, we'll be absent from the body and be present with the Lord. Look forward to that. But we, we begin in verse 13. If you have your Bible, stand. We're just going to read one verse, and then we'll go through uh, several verses here this morning. In verse 13, he said, For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. We're so free in Christ, but we're not free to sin. Use not liberty to the occasion of the flesh, but by love serve one another. By love serve one another. I love that. Let's pray. God bless us as we take a, a look in the book for a walk in the world. God, that we'll be prepared for this week's journey. Lord, we just pray that each person will glean and just realize there's something for them this morning and to apply it to their hearts. Lord, I don't know what's going on in the hearts this morning, but you know every heart. And you will speak as you always drew through your word. The Holy Spirit will just convict hearts. Bless now and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We look at verse 14. We left off last week in verse 13. He said, for all the law is fulfilled in one word. Of course, this is repeated in three of the Gospels. James repeats it. Paul mentions it again elsewhere that you should love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. And that's so vitally important. The word love is that great word agape, that self-sacrificing love, the highest form of love. We have to love others sacrificially. And that's what he says here in one word, 613 commands reduced in the New Testament to one. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now, we don't ignore all the other commands of the Old Testament, the, nine, the Ten Commandments. Nine are repeated. We understand that. But he's making a point here that it's not all about keeping 613 Old Testament laws. It's all about loving others as yourself. 
And in that, you'll be just like Jesus, who went to the cross and died for others. He uses a metaphor in, ver- in the next verse, verse, six, uh, verse 15, excuse me. We'll get to verse 16 in a moment. He says in verse 15, but, but, that's a word of transition, isn't it? He just talked about loving your neighbor. Now he's going to talk about the opposite thing. He says, if you bite and devour one another. Quite often they use these illustrations in the Old Testament. The ancient writers talked about beasts devouring, ravenous wolves. And we know Christians sometimes can be like that. We bite and devour. We're like cannibals in the church. And they were having a problem because in Acts 15, he's talking to the church and he's talking about them fighting over circumcision. The church was divided. There's nothing like a united church and there's nothing like a divided church. Been in both. And boy, you hate that division and you hate people who cause divisions. But he says here, he says, we don't want to bite and devour one another. And he says in verse 16, he uses a metaphor, walk, walk. He says in verse 16, walk in the spirit. Verse 18, be led of the spirit. Verse 25, live in the spirit. It's a metaphor. Why? Early Christians viewed life as a journey. Where'd they get that? They got it from Abraham. Abraham traveled towards the Holy Land and his life was a journey. And we're supposed to realize our life is a journey. We're to walk and we're to live in the spirit. And there's so many metaphors that describe our journey. And we may be getting near the end. Hopefully the Lord will rapture the church. We should not all be, we should not all die, but we'll all be changed. Thank God at the rapture, those that aren't, didn't die will be taken up to meet the Lord in the air. But in the meantime, we have to live right. We have to walk right. He said, if we do that, walk in the spirit, we shall not fulfill the desires of the flesh. You'll, if you walk in the spirit, he says, you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That word fulfill in your Bible, that Greek word's translated so many ways. To complete something. It's translated to finish, to accomplish, to perform. And I love that, that if we walk in the flesh, we'll not perform. If we walk in the spirit, we'll not perform the deeds of the flesh. If we live in the spirit, we won't live in the flesh. So pastor, what's the key? Moment by moment. Confessing your sin. Every time you sin, confess it. I love that word. He'll cleanse us. You know that. Word catheter. The nurses know what it is. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us from our sins, to forgive us. And to what? Cleanse us. He puts that catheter in. All that yuck comes out. Immediately you're right with God. That's the key. Confessing every time you sin. You say, preacher, I sin 20 times a day. Confess it every time. Immediately he cleanses you. You don't repent and get saved again. You confess it. It's over. And so the key is confessing your sin and realizing that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. Immediately when you're about to do something, he tells you not to do it. He says, don't do it. You know he tells you not to do it. And if we walk in the Spirit, we'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The word lust is, normally we think of it as a a bad word. It's translated desire in Philippians 3. Paul had a desire to go somewhere. It's actually not a bad word all the time, but in this context it is. And we understand, we think of lust, we think of morals. And we're going to talk pretty explicitly today about morals. But here he says, if you walk in the spirit, you'll not fulfill the lust, which is the context is bad here, the lust of the flesh. I was having my devotions this week and I, 
uh, he had a little calendar and had a verse in the bottom. It says, neither give place to the devil. And I thought about this funny little parable about a, a guy in Haiti that wanted to sell his shack. Not a bad shack. He sold it for $2,000 or he asked $2,000. Some guy came along and says, I'll give you half. And finally he agreed to sell him uh, the shack for $1,000. But he said, I want one thing. I want next to that door, that big pig, I want to hang stuff there. So I want in the contract for that one nail, that one peg in the wall uh, to be for me to hang things. And the guy agreed. And a few years later, he came back. He wanted to buy his shack back. He said, hey, I want to buy it back. I said, I'm not selling it. He said, well, fine. He took a dead dog and hung it on that nail. And it got so bad, the guy had to leave the place. Now, that's a corny story. But we don't give place to the devil. We can't give him one inch. We can't give our flesh one inch. If we do, we're defeated. And so he says, neither give place. Don't give him any room in your life. We get to verse 17. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. So lust isn't a bad word when the spirit's lusting against the flesh. But we find there's a battle going on. Old and new Dan. And they're against one another. And it's a continual tense in the Greek grammar. In other words, it, our, our flesh keeps lusting. It keeps desiring to do things against what the spirit wants. And your spirit continues to, to lust against things your flesh wants. And it's a battle all day long. You know it is. You carry that old carcass with you. And, and you know what it does. It plagues you every day. All day long. Verse 18. But if ye be led. And again, the word is in the continual tense. If ye be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Notice the word Spirit's always capital S, not the mind here, it's the Holy Spirit. If you're led of the Spirit, you're not going to go and live under the law. He doesn't lead us to do that. Why? The handwritten ordinances of the law were nailed to the cross. I thank God for the law. I preach from the law sometimes. But we understand the context of the law. It was a schoolmaster. It was a, it was a, a, a great example of something we could look to and see in the, those exaggerated rules. We could learn about separation. Well, you couldn't have a, a crop, two crops on the same farm. You couldn't have wool and polyester. All those rules to teach us by extremes separation. Some of us need to be separated. We read the law, we learn the importance of separation. We learn so many things by the law. So we thank God for the law, but we're not under it. And the Spirit will never lead us to go back under the law and be circumcised or obey those rules. That's not how he leads. He leads us to liberty. And we said last week, grace and mercy are our liberty. I'm free in Christ to do everything but sin. You don't use your freedom to sin. And then we find in verse 18, we're led not under the law, and the word under, remember we were under tutors, we were under governors, we were under elements, all in chapter 4. And the Spirit doesn't lead us that way. Look at ch to chapter 7 of Romans. We've quoted from Romans quite a few times. Look at chapter 7. Verses 3 and 4. Romans chapter 7, verses, uh, actually verses 4 and 5. Paul says here, under the, when I say Paul, remember he's under the inspiration of God. God has breathed on him and told him to write this down. Men were inspired, which meant 40 of them. 66 books written by 40 inspired men. I love that. God breathed on Paul 
and said, write this down. So we're not minimizing the words of Paul. They were inspired words. Wherefore, he says in 7.4, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ. That ye should be married to one another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we are in the flesh, the motions of sins, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth the fruit unto death. The law did one thing. It taught righteousness. It set a standard. Never saved anyone. You know, people were saved way back then, just like Abraham by faith, just like you by faith. They weren't saved by keeping the law. No one could keep the law. The Bible said there was a fault with that first covenant. The fault was that we were part of it. God never failed. The law didn't fail. We did. We couldn't keep it. I say we as in, in people from back who lived under the law. And so the failure of the law was man couldn't keep it. So the Lord Jesus Christ came and died on the cross and did away with the handwritten ordinances. But look at the battle Paul faces here. I love this. Paul says here, Verse 14, for you know that the law is spiritual, and I don't know if you Saul and Paul, and I, Saul, am carnal, sold into sin. For that which I do, I, I allow not. For that what I would, would that do, I not, but what I hate, that I do. If then I do that which I would not, I consent to the law that is good. But go down to verse 19. For the good that I would do, I do not, but the evil which I, Paul, would not do, I, Saul, do. I'm using his old and new name. What's he saying there? Well, new Paul wants to do some things. Old Paul doesn't. And old Paul wants to do his thing, and new Paul says no. And he says, I want to do things, but my old nature stands in the way. Old Saul stands in the way. A lot of times you have a thought to do something good. Well, I don't want to get up out of a lazy boy. I'm enjoying this TV show. Or I really don't like that person. Why should I go help that person? Well, who put the thought in your mind? Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from the Father above. He puts those thoughts. When, you're, when you have a thought to do good to someone you don't like, the Lord's opening up a door, man. The Lord's opening up a door for, for you to minister to someone, for you to do something for the greatness of God. And, and we always know the old nature's going to say no, and then when it comes to, you know, a big old bowl of chocolate ice cream, and nothing wrong with a bowl of chocolate ice cream, but I used to eat a half a, a, half a gallon, seriously. We'd take a hot knife, we'd heat it over a candle in college. Chuck, my buddy, and I was 6'6". Six, six. He'd cut that in half, each would eat half. Now, that was gluttony, but it tasted good. <laughs> but isn't that the, the way the old flesh loves the sin, doesn't it? Now, I'm not saying ice cream's wrong, but a half a gallon's a little much at one sitting. So we can be gluttonous and we, we, can, we can do the wrong thing. And the old nature and new nature are always battling. And I always use myself as a bad example. I don't eat a half gallon now, uh, but I, I sure miss eating ice cream right now. But he says here in verse 18, back in our text, he says, but if we be led of the spirit, the, the phrase be led is continuous. We are not under the law. Now notice verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are these. That word works, mark that in your Bible. It's the word ergon. We get our word energy from it. The energy of the flesh are these. Boy, the flesh gets plenty of energy from sin, doesn't it? The old flesh energizes us to, to do wrong. I'm amazed at times I'd go to the gym 
and I'd play basketball and I really, sometimes we had games and uh, this is overseas. I played military leagues and I, I'd be kind of tired that day and I'd go to the gym, but boy, when it came to getting on an official, I had plenty of energy. All of a sudden I had a burst of energy. Hey, that's a terrible call. You know, the old flesh, he'll energize us. The works, the energy of the flesh are these, and he's going to name a bunch of sins. Remember the word flesh is translated in your Bible, carnal, carnality. Remember the Corinthian church, carnal people. Paul listed so many of their sins, you know, and, and so the works of the flesh are these, and he goes on to list them. And we told you we're going to get kind of explicit today about some things. But we know the works of the flesh are manifest. That word is translated elsewhere, appearing in 1 Timothy 4.15. The works of the flesh appear. They're manifest. They'll manifest themselves. You ever see somebody make a fool of themselves? You think, oh man, that's embarrassing. Oh, oh you can't hide your flesh forever. It'll expose the truth of the heart. See, the problem's with the heart. When things come out of your mouth that are unkind and ugly, it came from the heart. You see, the heart is desperately wicked. And sometimes someone will say, oh, he's a good heart. And I think, well, really, I won't say that about someone. I don't know the hearts. God does, and he says it's wicked. He says, the mind is depraved. And in my flesh, Paul said, I've already quoted, there's nothing good. So we have to be careful when we give any credit to this old nature. There's nothing good in it. The only thing in here is the new man. And new Dan's a perfect person. You just don't get to know him very well. Because old Dan's wrapped around him. And, and so you can see new Dan or old Dan, but, but we know that old Dan's rotten to the core. So he's going to list several sins here. He's going to list sexual sins in verse 19, sacred sins in verse 20, and social sins in verse 20 to 21. And he's got 17 sins he's going to talk about. And so today I have to be a little bit negative about some things because we're talking about the works of the flesh. We'll get to the fruit of the Spirit in a few weeks. But the works of the flesh are these. And he'll name 17 bad things that are in your body. And the first thing he mentions is adultery. Exodus 20, 14, thou shalt not commit adultery. And God's people said, a few of you agree with that. I don't ask for amens much. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Amen. Good ladies, you have the right to say amen today because I'm going to pick on the men real bad. But we all say amen to the seventh commandment. But look at Matthew chapter five. It might get quiet. I love, I love the Lord Jesus and the way he went after people who he needed to go after because he knew the hearts. He knew the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Oh, I mean, they bring, her, bring this woman and they throw him at his feet and say, we caught her right in the act of adultery. And I don't know what he wrote. I'd always like to know. Maybe he wrote one of their names. I don't know. But he wrote something. They all just quietly left. He who hath no fault cast the first stone. So we're not going to cast stones today, but we're going to examine our hearts. Because... Moral failure is the biggest cause of Christians falling by the wayside. Moral failure happens all the time, constantly. And I didn't plan this message. This is, you know, we're going through Galatians verse by verse, and here we are today. So I'm not picking on you. If today it applies to you, if the shoe fits, you got to wear it. You can't blame the preacher. Blame the inspired word of God. Amen. 
You can't say anything except guilty as charged. But look what Jesus says here. And it says here in Matthew 5, 28. But I, he says, you have heard that it was said of them, oh, thou shalt not commit adultery. That was the law. Verse 28, but I say to you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her in his heart. See how quiet it is. Talking to someone the other day, came and talked and said, well, you know, um, my wife felt like I rejected her. He did not pursue his wife in their marriage. Every woman wants to be pursued in the marriage. Every woman wants that. That doesn't mean they're going to say yes when the time comes. They should, but they sometimes don't. But they want you to want them. All the women here know that. They want to be wanted by their husbands, even if they're not in the mood. They still want you to desire them. And a lot of times men take care of their own needs, and that's sinful. You're committing adultery when you do that. And I'm glad the men are quiet because we stand guilty as charged. I uh, <clears throat> was reading this week, someone said, this is ridiculous, I don't believe it, that every seven seconds a man has an impure thought. I don't believe that. But they did surveys and they concluded, even the PA system doesn't like this preaching. They concluded that 19 times a day a man will have an immoral thought on average. I mean, talking about teenagers to older men. It, obviously, it gets less as you get older. But men, we are morally depraved. And if you don't believe that, you don't believe the Bible. You know, I've had frank conversations with men in my church before, and, and I've had people come and say, Pastor, I don't know what's wrong with me. We hire a new maid. My wife says, we've got a new maid coming. First thing in my mind is, I wonder what she looks like. <laughs> and then I'm tempted to, to, to look at her in the wrong way. I said, you're in an old rotten body. And men, we battle this all day long. And if you don't admit it, you're not honest about it. And wives, you need to know it to hold them accountable. Constantly, we're bombarded with thoughts. Now, who's putting those thoughts in our mind? It isn't the Bible. It's not the Holy Spirit. Let's, let's look at some other verses here. Jesus, of course, is, is just rebuking the Pharisees and everything he preaches in Matthew and the Beatitudes. It's fantastic. Because the disciples heard it and got a good dose of it, but also the enemy was always listening. But look with me, if you will, and we, we preached about this several weeks ago. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. Mark your Bibles. Learn what these words mean. Ephesians chapter 6. We all remember a preacher friend of ours saying the willies of the devil. No, it's not the willies, it's the wiles of the devil. Ephesians chapter 6. It says here in chapter 6 of Ephesians, and I'm in Galatians, got to turn over a few pages. It says here, for we wrestle, stop right there, the word wrestle. Do you, know, you know what a wrestling match is. Do you know what the punishment was to the loser of a Greek wrestling match? When I read that this week, I went on the internet and I went in my library and I searched it out. I said, I, that's shocking. But a whole bunch of people, scholars say it. The loser would have his eyes gouged out. It's serious stuff. It's a battlefield for us, isn't it? We're, we're in a tough match. We wrestle not against, against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and, of world, and I guess spiritual wickedness. We've gone over that. We've studied that. We've taught that. But the word wiles, the word wiles, 
the wiles of the devil. And it's in here. I can't even see it in here. Um, yeah, verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God. That includes the sword of the spirit and the helmet of salvation and gird up your minds, obviously. And be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That's where methodi, we get our word methods. So we have to be aware of his methods. Remember learning that? Mark the word wiles, that's the word methods. What are his methods? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11. Or 2 Corinthians, I apologize. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11. And again, it's worth repeating because many of you weren't here. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11, we've, we've preached this message before. Just want to touch on it. It says, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Mark that word devices. It's a word meaning thoughts or mind. Noomo is the word mind. So the word devices is the word mind. So why are we thinking men all these thoughts all the time? Who's pumping ideas into our head? That's his plan. His plan is to ruin you. I don't know how many times I've been heartbroken when I hear about a man of God or even a friend or, or a neighbor or someone I really like to hear that they've fallen and they've ruined their marriage, their home's ruined, and I'm like, oh, man, that's terrible. It's heartbreaking. It's disappointing if you ever look up to someone and they do something like that. And all of you have been brokenhearted. And you think, why would that idiot do it? Well, I'll tell you why. He's got a horrible flesh and he's listening to thoughts that are put into his mind. And those thoughts are dragging him down. Now, back to our text. Back to our text. Our thought life so vitally important. Gird up the loins of your mind. Don't allow everything in. Put the earmuffs on. And Jesus even says, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. And he doesn't want us gouging our eyes out. It's a hyperbole. It's an exaggeration to get you to understand how important it is to be careful of what you look at. Years ago, I had a deacony. We went to the, the beach same resort, and uh, I, did, I don't like a lot about the beach. I don't like the sand, the salt water, or the sun, so I sit in the shade usually. And he was out in an inner tube floating out on the beach pretty much all day. He was just sunburnt. And at our next deacon's meetings, he wanted me to make an announcement that when we're going to have a picnic, but no one can wear pants to the picnic or anything like that. He wanted all these rules. I said, those rules aren't in the Bible. I'm not going to do that. And he got upset. I'm going to be offended. If I can't go to the picnic... And, uh, you know, have to see a woman in slacks at the picnic. I'm going to really be offended. I said, first of all, you're weak if you're offended. If you love the word, you're not weak. I said, second of all, I saw you at the beach. I was there the week you were, and you were on that inner tube out in the salt water all day long, and that beach was covered with bikinis. Or the women on the beach were covered, at least, thankfully, in, the, in bikinis. And you didn't have any problem there, but you can't go to a church picnic. It was hypocrisy. But we're all hypocrites, aren't we? Did you know what we are? This is a group of dysfunctional people here. All of you are dysfunctional because of sin. Now you think, well, my family, we have all the good customs. We do everything right. We're functional. And these other families are all dysfunctional. And you think that till you get married. And then your wife says, we don't do it that way. And usually you don't end up doing it that way if mama doesn't want it that way. But, but you know, we all think everybody else is messed up. We find out we're all broken people. We're all broken people. Everyone here is a broken person. 
because of sin. Sin has ruined us. And, and thank God for the redemption that Jesus Christ went to the cross to buy us back because we were slaves to sin. He redeemed us. He set us free. We don't have to live immorally. And Jesus, of course, is being very blunt with the Pharisees throughout Scripture. But back to our text. First of all, adultery. Adultery is a specific sin applying normally to married people. Then he says fornication. We have four sins here. Adultery, then fornication. That's the word pornia. We get our word pornography from it. Kind of startling for a pastor to say, if you're looking at porn, you're cheating on your wife. But you are. And I mean, it's a struggle throughout our society. You give your kids cell phones and you don't have any guards on it and you don't put protection on it. I don't think kids ought to get a cell phone until they're driving. That's my opinion. I'm not saying you're wrong if you've given one. Don't. That's opinion. Second Opinions is a, is a great book in my life, but it's not inspired. It's my ideas. Someone said opinions are like armpits. Everybody has some of them, but some of them stink. That's probably true. But my opinion is, you know, they have cell phones and boy... It's not just 14, 15. It's adults looking at porn. And, and it's, it, it's a terrible sin. And for, 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 fornication is a general word applying to all kinds of sexual sins. Sodomy, beastliality, believe it or not. Man with beast, all kinds of sin. The word originally had to do with prostitution. And, and uh, it was connected to a word, uh, gives us the word prostitution. It's a very graphic word. And uh, all of us understand what pornography is. And it is a family, a home wrecker. You say, well, I'm not jumping in bed with a woman. I'm just looking at pictures. It's ruining your relationship with your wife. While usually with pornography, I've only looked at it once as a teenager. And I opened a magazine at work and I was like, unbelievable. They always find the best looking bodies in all the planet and get them in this magazine. And a man looks at that, and then he's not interested in his wife, because who looks like that? A 20-year-old girl for a short period in her life, and a man is obsessed with that, and it'll ruin the relationship. And you have to live in a fantasy world because your wife doesn't please you. Listen, don't look at that stuff. It's Satan's magazine. The Internet's used by him. And let me back up, because I meant to say this earlier. We talk about the devil made me do it. The Bible says we have the world, the flesh, and the devil. As we're young, we're so influenced by the world, aren't we? I mean, kids, come on, let's go drink some, you know, liquor, and, and let's, let's go do this or that. And we're tempted to do things by our peers. And that pressure is the pressure of the world. Adults sometimes are pressured like that. Well, I got to get a nicer house because they have a nicer house. That's, we understand the pressure of peers and the world. But most of us in our spiritual walk will outgrow that. And the rest of our life, we still carry this dead body. And a lot of times we want to blame the devil. The devil can only be in one place at one time. Now, I know he's got a lot of demons. But probably the reason you're sending is not the devil. Because you carry with you the flesh. And he doesn't say these are the works of the devil. It says these are the works of the flesh. Whose flesh? Yours. Mine. And so don't think it's the devil. He's not making you do it. You're choosing to do it because it's fun. It feels good. Well, immorality is fun or people wouldn't try to do it all the time. Fornication. 
Then uncleanliness. An interesting word, it could apply to any type of cleanliness, but the context here is clearly moral. And the context is always the way you figure out what a verse means. What are the preceding verses? What's it in the middle of? It's in the middle of a context of the works of the flesh. So this is not going to wash your hands. It's moral impurity, moral uncleanliness. In fact, let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 7. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7. And we'll look at maybe, I think this is probably the last verse today. I'm not done preaching. If you're done listening, don't go to sleep. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 7. Again, another epistle of Paul. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7 says here, For God hath not called us to uncleanliness, but to what? Oh. So it's the opposite of holiness. So we know this is not talking about ceremonial washing for eating at a feast of the Jews or something, or is it talking about you taking a bath, even though some of you may need to. I don't know, ask your spouse or the person that near you. But the fact of the matter is this is talking about moral uncleanliness. And uncleanliness is the opposite of holiness. Now back to our text and this big word, lasciviousness. And this is a word that includes all lustful pleasure. It really has to do with open displays of moral sin. Shamefulness is what we could say. This is shameful immorality. Oh boy, when we listen to the news. I, uh, my wife's first cousin, first year he won America's uh, Got Talent, Terry Fader. And and I would see these contestants and they'd have their life story on there. And so many of them would say, you know, I was, uh, you know, uh, homosexual or lesbian. And uh, I finally had the courage to come out of my closet and they're all like, isn't that great? And this is saying shamefulness. This lasciviousness is an idea of shameful morals. We've lost, we've lost our, our shame now. We don't have any shame. There was a, and I didn't watch the show, but my wife was channel surfing the other night and she stopped for a moment and, and this anchor of this show called 90 Day Fiance or something, just smut, you know, says, uh, and congratulations, two of our ladies are pregnant. Now they weren't married, they were engaged. And I thought, is something wrong? Of course it is. The world, love not the world or the things of the world. There's something wrong with a society that congratulates pregnancy out of wedlock. Yeah. To avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife. And that means woman, by the way, for a man. But we've lost it, folks. We've lost our marbles. I'll tell you, there's no shame today. It's so, it's so powerful in society, this moral failure and, and moral deviance and sin it's, it's frightening to us as Christians to see what's happening in the world. We're looked at as oddballs because we believe in marriage and the sanctity of marriage. I was, years ago, I remember uh, when AIDS came out. And of course, preachers were preaching that AIDS was a judgment of God. And the world said, oh, you hateful people, you. How terrible of you to preach that. And I thought, wait a minute. Why can't we preach that as a judgment of God? It started with men and men. You know the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say. He didn't say that, but that's how it started. Now there's monkeypox, so I guess we shouldn't say anything about that either. And guess where it started? And guess where it's being transmitted? And all over. 
It's, it's men with men. And I mean, we've got preachers now who are gay, they say, not the Bible word gay, but homosexual preachers now. I don't know how bad it's going to get, but the tribulation period is going to be far worse than now, but it's pretty bad right now. I pray, Lord, please come. I don't know if my grandkids are going to find a Christian mate that will be devoted to the sanctity of marriage. I worry about that, don't you? I mean, our world's falling apart. But as Christians, we're called out to be separate and different than the world. We can't live like that. Now, I'm not preaching today to say to you that I'm the example that I ought to be. Because I was a teenager once and I did some things I'm ashamed of. So I'm not judging you. But I'm saying what the Word of God says. And the Word of God says it just as plain as day. And you understand, God's not happy with this stuff. And he'll take a Christian, he'll chasten that Christian. And sometimes we tend to think as Christians, why am I punished? I did something wrong. It almost ruined my marriage. But a buddy at work, he's done that with so many different people and done so many things wrong. And, and he seems to be fine with it because he's going to answer at the great white throne judgment. You're going to answer now. You're truly a child of God, whom the Lord loveth he. If you're truly a child of God, I said it again, whom the Lord loveth he. If you're truly a child of God, whom the Lord loveth he. You're going to get whipped. That's the Bible. So here are the works of the flesh. We've only looked at one category, moral failure. We'll close. I said we weren't going to go. I didn't lie, but we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20. We'll close here. Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20. And this is what really bothers me. A lot of things bother me this morning, obviously. But this one bothers me as well. Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20. And you know the verse, it's probably marked in your Bible, but we need to mention it. And it says, woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. Now, listen to the media. Oh, if you are against gay marriage or pregnancy out of wedlock or any of this stuff, shame on you. In fact, our kids are being taught now in some places. You know, having abortion will help. You don't have to tell mom and dad. And if you have sex, just use protection. And if you love them and you're committed, it's okay. That's the world's answer. They call evil good. And we're called evil because we preach against it. Now, don't go out of here and go to someone immoral and say to them, how dare you? You know, you're just, you're that child of yours is a bastard. That's what the Bible calls them. Don't get offended. And, and you're just an immoral. That's not your calling in life to judge other people. Your calling is to love them. And when they need diapers, give them diapers. When they need help, help them. Remember how this started out. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. We're not on the throne to judge. I'm preaching against sin today. And, and the, problem, the problem we have sometimes in church is we go out and we get in a big argument at work with someone over abortion. That person's not going to come to know you're Jesus. They hate you so much they'll never come to your church. So be careful. While we preach against sin, we love the sinner. This is not a message for you to preach to a lost person at work. This is for the church today to understand the seriousness of moral failure, for us to be on guard because it's all around us, in the church, outside of the church. It's been accepted. Even churches now accept it. I know people right now I could name, I couldn't name, I can tell you their address, of people I know, I can't think of the name right off, I'm, I'm so bad with names. The lady sings in the choir and lives with a guy. 
And I thought, that's fornicating. It's right here. She may be a really good person. She may be saved. But God doesn't bless that, folks. He wants us to stand against sin. So we stand against the old nature. And we stand for grace and mercy. Both sides. Two sides of the same coin, right? Judgment on one side, grace and mercy on the other. I want to stand, but I don't want to be someone who's ugly in the world like I was in the pulpit this morning. I want to be someone who takes a stand, but that people around me say, he's a good neighbor. He's a nice man. I like him. They may not like this message, but if they can like the Lord Jesus, that's what matters is that sinners come to him. Let's pray. God, we thank you today for your word. Lord, Paul is pretty graphic, Lord, and we thank you for his bluntness on these things and help us to realize that when you inspired him to write these things, you expected us to preach these things. Even though they're uncomfortable sometimes, it needs to be said, Lord, thank you for your word, for laying this on the heart of Paul to write these things down. And Lord, if there's anyone here who's not a Christian, I pray that right now they can just come forward and be saved. And Lord, if all the men who struggle with moral thoughts come forward, every man in the church will come forward because we all struggle. And Lord, I'm going to go down as you're leading me to do this, to set an example, to say, I want to do better in my thought life to please you, Lord. Blessed now in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.